This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here again to continue the 25 years series, a a look back at the first 25 years of Ravens history and some great stories coming out of this. I know we're going to have some great ones today because we have a good guest here, Jim Considine. Jim, how are you doing? Hey, Ken, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, appreciate you coming on, Jim. And, and, and Jim has had a ton of experience in Baltimore sports in a lot of different ways, but spent a lot of time in the press box as a press box manager for the Ravens, uh, worked as a statistician for the Redskins, uh, has done some writing for Sabre. What are you working on now, Jim? Well, right now, uh, actually, uh, for Sabre, we're just, uh, creating a new masthead for, their, uh, for the uh, local chapter's newsletter. All right, great. That's uh, uh, 
Sabre, if you don't know Society of American Baseball Research, lots of good old information that preserves the history of the game, much as we're kind of trying to do with the series. And uh, they go very deep into some of the player bios that are out there. And I, it's something I always enjoy reading, being a baseball guy myself. But Jim, we want to talk a little bit about uh, about Ravens history here. And, and let's start off with kind of your background. And, and I know you, you were in the Ravens press box for, for a number of years and were also the, the, the Redskins statistician. How did, how did those experiences compare and contrast? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> My best friend was the operations manager for the Cleveland Browns. And we always talked about, I hired him as a general manager of Bobby Boyd's hooligans mm-hmm. in Towson. Bobby Boyd was the old Baltimore Colt defensive back. And we stayed best friends. Yeah, we. Uh, <clears throat> so when he came to town, the Ravens were they were short on personnel, and you're they were grabbing everybody. They, you know, Bob was the only Baltimorean who was coming from on the uh, from Cleveland to the team, and um, they just needed a lot of help with things. So mm-hmm. I was introduced to Kevin Kevin Byrne, and we he took us out to, took me to dinner. And it was an interview, and what he what he wanted to do was everybody hated the Baltimore Ravens in 1996. I mean, we were just just Adolf Hitler, you know, mm-hmm. we just disdained. And his his concept on how he was going to work the media that year was just to make sure that everything is done properly, fastidiously, fast, efficient. Yes, sir. No, sir. Just. Mm-hmm. the press snapped their fingers we jumped he told me that and with my restaurant experience it was like I understand that mm-hmm. um, that's what we did so he hired me and I was the first press box first person to hold that job in the NFL um, what it was I was told in Cleveland they used to have a couple ladies who they pull off the bratwurst uh, cart <laughs> and make them the press box attendants for the day uh, so they, they wanted to put a little, little bit more posture on it. So we were, um, you know, I, I had a small, smart staff of people working for me. Um, we did real well. Okay. We well, that's, that's how did they, again, you, you went to be a statistician for the Redskins and, and, uh, how was that organization run relatively speaking? Uh, completely opposite of the Ravens. Uh, I, you know, I loved working for the Models, uh, John and David and, uh, and Art, you know, they really put their heart and soul into the organization and uh, just fun to work with. And then the Bashadi group came in and it was wonderful how, how they, they, they just got, how Steve and Art got along and Art damn near adopted him and along with yeah, three adopted children. And, uh, it, you know, it was the penthouse and I Driving down to D.C., I felt like I was going to the outhouse. You know, very good. The penthouse to the outhouse. All right. You know, you see Ravens employees walking around today, and and it really lets me know this organization really gets it. So I saw a, a nice young lady come up with a box for 
a child who was in the equal access row. It doesn't matter where they were, the uh-huh. equal access row or not, but the child opened the box and it, and it was literally like a 1960s airplane experience. And they've all stripped all that out of American air travel. But it used to be, you know, you playing cards and wings and all the things. And these things for the kids would keep kids occupied, uh-huh. keep them out of their parents' hair, keep the flight a little quieter, you know, all those things. The organization gets it. And, it, you know, it, it started with her pin, which I forgot what her name was. And this is terrible, but it said Megan or whatever her name was. And it said drafted in 2011. I go, that's an organization that really understands, you know, you know how to get their employees to buy into it. And then also to create that great game day experience. So I think, I, I I think the Mo Gabba experience was just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I was very proud of the way the Orioles and the Ravens handled it. Um, yeah, both both doing it very well, and and uh, you know, he's, obviously Mogaba is a, is a uh, uh, beloved figure now in this town, and and the way they've done it in the end zone and whatnot. There's some question as as to whether or not the the Mo would be unhighlighted this year, but it's still there. Yeah, so. I like that. Um, there are so many characters in the NFL. Uh, gosh, I you know had a chance to work with so many really neat people, like. You don't really touch too many of the television guys, uh, especially you know the higher up they are, because mm-hmm. uh, they're in and out. Uh, but the radio people is who you get a chance to interface with, and probably my favorite, the biggest character of all time was um, uh, Myron Cope of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Holy mackerel! You know, you know he he consumed eighteen beers, smoked three cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a mess. It's a. Uh, I, I I'm not surprised by that. The voice is the voice is legendary. Clearly, he's supposed to have invented the terrible towels or the ones to be that. Now, everybody's got something similar. Uh, it's it's a. Uh, he, he's a he's a very strange character, certainly in the history of football, not let alone the Pittsburgh Steelers. But you mentioned in the production meeting your your experience with Troy Aikman. Oh and, yeah. Is it, talk a little bit about that story because that was one that kind of touched me, and I've got a kind of a reflexive uh, experience of my own. Nineteen ninety nine, the Ravens had one pre one preseason game that did not sell out, and it was against the New York Giants the weekend before Labor Day. It was a Friday noon game. Stony Case is, is driving the car. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's double uh, checks first year. Excuse me, Billick's first year. Uh, so we didn't, we were short, didn't sell out. So we did not have television coverage and it kind of put up the only time it ever happened. It just kind of put a wrinkle in the audio system inside the uh, press box. Uh, you know, it was just a digital masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so during the commercial breaks, I, you know, all of a sudden I, I hear Troy and the and his whoever he's working with, and they're, he's, they're broadcasting back to New York City, and uh, they're talking about what they did last night in the Harbor Place, you know. And they we walk around. I'm like, oh my god, you oh, know, what do you say? Yeah. <laughs> don't say it. Don't say it. Because the New York press is in the in our press box, and that regardless, that's a, a, an entourage. Yes, that, that certainly might come back. And they have no loyalty to Aikman. <laughs> it might have a long way. So. It would have roasted them. So I, I, I ran in there and said, yeah, put the kibosh on the conversations. And I have got our uh, uh, technical guy to you know, put the, uh, you know, fix the, uh, the glitch so that they're not, uh, they're not picking up every, every bit of their conversations. 
that's that's a that's a cool story in uh uh have an old video that has the booth audio with it from the 2000 playoff game against the Titans so it was actually played in early 01, but, but the, in, in that game. And so Deerdorf and I think Enberg uh, are doing the game together. And there's a couple of things that go on that are just very funny. They were asking Bonnie Bernstein, who is the, the sideline reporter, you know, so did you go to that party last night or something? It's obviously some inside joke about something. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing good could have come out of the question. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and and uh, that, that was funny. And the other thing that really struck me, and this is great inside football, is how technical Dan Deerdorf was. So they had the block field goal return for the touchdown 90 yards that won the ball game for the Ravens. A lot of people think it's Ray Lewis's return. That was great. That was the mm-hmm. icing on the cake. But the, but the 90-yard touchdown. Well, anyway... Deerdorf all of a sudden takes over the broadcast during commercial and he goes, okay, go to the field level. Show me the L22 again. Okay, go in there. It's not Burnett. Okay, look in there. The man without a helmet, get his number, 93. Okay. And then they immediately come back from commercial and Deerdorf is, Keith Washington lost his helmet, but not his head. Is he blocking? And it's just, you, you, you don't get that impression of Deerdorf. As, you know, you, he loves football, clearly. He's very you know boisterous, but you didn't get the impression of his being a very technical person. I, I always love that, uh, uh, that re- remembrance of it. I thought great broadcaster. I know a lot of people in Baltimore don't agree on that, but I love the guy. Hey, you know who I met? Uh, one of my favorite was Dennis Miller. Okay. He was nice as could be. Nice as could be. And uh, Do we, were you around ever for the John Miller days in the Ravens, in the, in the Orioles? I had a chance. Right. John Miller came into the press box. Well, this is a good story. Uh, John Miller came into the press box and the third quarter of the game. And when, when we get visitors for the, in the third quarter, they got me. That's about that. Mm-hmm. That's as good as you. You got no Ravens people, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm game day, so that you know I'm lower. I'm right on the bottom of the uh, food chain, and uh, so we take John around. No problem. I loved it. He was delightful. But one, one thing, um, my friend Bob, uh, the operations manager, he wanted John to go in and do a set of downs on the audio inside the stadium. Take over for Bruce Cunningham. Oh, sure. And we just thought that would be just great. That'd be very cool. And he called Art, called David, you know, to, uh, to clear it with them. They said, nah, can't do it. It'll piss off Peter too much. Peter Andrews. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he hated every, you know, he had no... So it was probably better. So he, they, we weren't able to do it. I, I met John once out in Las Vegas, and I've I met him in Baltimore too. But he, but in, in Las Vegas, he was out there, and he was at the he, he was at at the cage at the uh, what was it the uh, the. Uh, one of the, the one next to, next to Treasure Island, the Mirage. That's right, the, the Mirage. And and so he uh, uh, he was on the cage taking care of some business and whatnot. I was right behind him, and and I, he turned around. And I saw John Miller. I go, hey, John. I, I, we've we've met before, but but you know. And he, one of the things about John Miller is he can never turn off the personality he has. It's always like, hey, <laughs> and, then, and then I say, you know, uh, what are you out here doing? And, and I go, oh, just gambling. I guess, gambling. <laughs> it's like, it's like, he's mocking everything. He, he just had a hard time turning off, but it's very nice guy. And, and, uh, and, and just a lot of fun to, uh, to share a moment with out there. 
you, you mentioned some other things, and I want to make sure we get to everything here. The 2007 Browns game almost had one of the great technical snafus of all time. Obviously, now a lot of people remember the game. This was the field goal that went through the uprights, hit off the support bar, came back, and was, I think, in the end, correctly ruled uh, a made field goal that sent the game into overtime as a lot of Ravens fans were exiting the stadium thinking they had a win. Well, that was kind of like not all, but it took over three minutes to correct the call. And I had the pleasure of being working as a statistician that day for the Cleveland Browns um, radio broadcast. And it was a, it's an easy job because you can't give a radio guy too much. You don't want to baffle them with too much BS uh, unless you see something and just really glaring. But the radio visiting radio booth at, at that time, or at M&T Bank Stadium is right next to the NFL replay booth. And there are large glass windows between, you know, between each booth. Hmm. So you could look in there and, you know, wave to them, you know, uh, they, they kind of stood them, stated themselves. So the field goal, field goal goes through. It was very difficult to pick up. The depth perception is what screwed up that call. Mm-hmm. The referee, there was only one referee at the time. That was the NFL, the way they stationed, uh, the, uh, stationed the referees. The back judge was the only person who would, was watching that. Uh, and, you know, Baltimore has a long history of screwed up field goals and crazy field yep. goals. So what happened was he got turned around and he couldn't tell whether the ball dropped or went back. You know, it, it, it bounced out. But the fact that it hit the crossbar is the what made it good. That was sporting the, bar. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I'm looking at the NFL replay and they look like it. They're, they're rehearsing for a, a Lucy show of the, uh, the skit. They've got books. They're ripping through all their three ring binders, looking stuff up. And in the meantime, I'm looking at, they have a replay of the, on a 27 inch, the only high definition television in this stadium in 2007. <laughs> But they're watching it, and they, they saw what exactly what happened, and they're, the referee could not converse or get direction from that booth at the time. Mm-hmm. There was no input. They, they had no – and that was a rule they changed in, over, the, over the winter. But um, the – and what I was told – from my inside source was although I, I could see them and watch them what they were going through and realizing it was just, you know, 52 pickup. They were trying to figure out a way to let the referee know without telling them that because everything they're, everything they're doing is being recorded and monitored. Um, and the referee was actually interviewed by Jameson Helmsley when he was with the Sun. And he said, no, 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 no. Well, we didn't, you know, we had nothing to do. We had no 
contact with the uh, the replay booth, and then Jameson <laughs> Jameson had a video from WMAR. From the, he said, "Well, it looks like to me you were talking to somebody on that. Uh, you, you were in the uh, uh, under the hood at the time." So, what I was told what was going on was the replay booth couldn't tell them the field goal is good, right? But they kept t- doing stuff like, "Hope you have a really good night." You know, mm. you know, come back. You know, uh, it was a really good game. They're just trying to drop all these hints there. So, so they, they did say eventually that the call on the field is a made field goal. And it was it, it, when you look at the two guys who were who were in, in the end zone, one of them called it no good. It might have been the guy on the right. And the other guy came across to him immediately. He didn't he didn't he didn't confirm the call right, right, and, right. and wanted to talk to him about it because he seemed to hit the, the notice that it hit the supporting post. But that's 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 part of the interesting part of that story. But the other part is what's happening in the Cleveland radio booth. Take us through that. So, uh, and actually, uh, another interesting thing is, remember Ernie, Ernie Tyler, the uh, umpire sure. attendant from, everybody knows Ernie as a ba- baseball person, but as soon as the Orioles left town, he was over, he was worked at the Maryland Stadium Authority as a guard. And delightful, delightful man. Ernie was telling me after the game that the referees, they were down to their skivvies, and Ravens, they were already off the field. <laughs> and they were running around telling the MSA, Ernie's telling these guys, hey, the game's back on, get on the field. They're like, huh? You know, get dressed again. Referees can get dressed, change and dress faster than any human being alive. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the, the crowd comes back on. But in the meantime, the Cleveland radio announcer, Jim Donovan, is signing off. The game, you know, okay, Clevelanders, you know what? That they gave they gave it their best, you know. Golly days, it was a great game. We almost won it, almost pulled it out. And I'm realizing what's going on, and we're all of a sudden we're we're crossing our arms, going, don't, 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 don't sign off, don't sign off. It was good, it was good. Now we have to signal them because they're on, you know, they're on the radio. They're on the other side of the glass too. No, I mean they're in. I'm in the glass with them. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, what I was, you know, so we, and. So they finally got the message Donovan and they did sign off. Our, our Baltimore guys are, our, 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 uh, you know, spotter and our statistician are telling us the field was good. So let's just hang on there, Cleveland. And uh, they hung on. <laughs> and then they we kicked, we lost the coin flip. Uh, Josh, Joshua Cribs that day. <clears throat> that day, he set an NFL record for most scrimmage yards. No, excuse me, he didn't set it. Total, total yards. To, most, most total scrimmage yards at 309. And um, uh, kicking off to him that day was not a good idea. Or punting to him was not a good idea. He had 245 and, kickoff return yards on seven and, and 61 punt return yards. So and, that made up 306. Yeah, and then he had oh, and he had three yards, three yards of uh, uh, rushing. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Matt Stewart had no no leg then. He had no length. He mm-hmm. could kick it into. Uh, he could get Justin out Tucker. Yep. And you know that that that's why we have uh, got Stephen Dow- uh, Stephen Stephen Galsh next year, the next year, to do the uh, just to handle the kickoffs in the long run. 
All right, I want to get to one more story here before we before we have to sign off and and take us through your experience on opening day 1996 and being Johnny Unitas's handler because I love this one. Uh, it was I grew, I grew up I was hired as a busboy when I was 16 and worked right up through general manager for Johnny Unitas's Golden Arm and Bobby Boyd's Hooligans. So, I knew the guys and Stayed lightly in touch with them. Uh, would run into them in Baltimore. And so when the Ravens came to town, obviously only one of the new Johnny and Itis. And John was a little tough with the Cleveland Brown people. It, there, was, there wasn't a, ma- uh, you know, a magical mar- marriage between Baltimore and Cleveland. You know, Cleveland didn't like leaving Jim Brown behind. And uh, Art loved his players in Cleveland. And, and John was all, you know, John... You did, didn't, John didn't embrace you at first. You know, you had to kind of, so it was a little funny. So I was his, his, I was the conduit, you know, on Sundays, you know, when they were, somebody needed, the press needed John, you know, they found me, said, go find John. So Unitas was in the stadium somewhere in seats or whatever. Or, he, was, uh, he was the special guest, the secret okay. guest. And John was going to, culminate the drive, the give Baltimore the ball drive. Well, he was going to carry out the game ball to the referee. Uh, and in other words, Baltimore got the ball and now you, let's go play with it. You know, whatever. Um, that wasn't great poetry. Uh, <laughs> but they had asked me to, um, they asked me to take care of John, meet him up for the, uh, before the game, and just make sure he's on his mark. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing gets. He's everything's okay. So the night before, I was working, you know, setting up the press box uh, for the game, and my buddy comes in and said, "Okay, I need you to go out and buy, uh, go out and buy a uh, a gym bag tonight, and I'm going to give you the jersey, John Unitas' jersey, the game ball. Don't lose it." Put it in a bag so nobody can see it. And then they bought me a stationary cabinet, one of those little, you know, silly things you with a little tiny lock on it. Anyway, sure. And that's where you're, we're going to lock it up there during the, you know, during the, uh, before the game. But in the meantime, put it in your car, get it out of sight. And so I met John like an hour before the, when we were doing on the field. Uh, we had a great time talking. We get ready to uh, 1245. We're supposed to be uh, on our mark. So we get down through the maze at Memorial Stadium, through all the dungeons and darkness, and, mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of lay out behind the dugout so nobody could see him. And they introduce him to uh, the crowd. And I'm on his left, and a lady by the name of Aaron Cashman is on his right. And we walk, you know, he's introduced, he comes out wearing the number number 19 jersey, holding the ball up in the air as per, per the request. Right as he's just getting ready to go out, he looks at me and goes, Do you mind if I go over and say hi to Ted while I'm up there? <laughs> what are you gonna tell him? <laughs> <laughs> Do whatever you like, sir. Yeah. Ted Marchaberta was the person who was kept by the state, Pittsburgh Steelers when John yep. was released. He was 56, right? Yeah, that, so, that, uh, 
piece of Ravens, a piece of Colts history. It was just a, a great experience. And he also told me I had to keep an eye on his, his granddaughter and his daughter, who were the same age, um, take care of them. And you know, probably had, there was a grandson in there, too. And they were just kind of sitting by the, you know, just standing up very quietly to themselves. But the cavalcade of media coming to photograph John, because flatlights were just full of photographers that day, mm-hmm. um, was just immense. It was like looking at a, a Buffalo Stampede, like something from a John Wayne movie. You just see this cloud of dust coming at me. <laughs> and we went to grab the girls, and there was a Baltimore City uh, underclo- undercover cop uh, watching us, and he just swoops up the girls like in one arm mm-hmm. <laughs> and grabs them, and we, everybody just get down the tunnel. Uh, there was an elevator at Memorial Stadium uh, that tr- in the office area, mm-hmm. uh, seated twelve, a ten maximum capacity. We were there were nine on there, and I got a ch- got a chance to pick one recorder to interview John. And I didn't know this is part of my job description, but uh, so I look around. And I'm like, I picked Ken Rosenthal, and I was so okay. happy I did that. He wrote a hell of a story, and Ken and I stayed friends for well, to this day. All right, very cool stories, Jim. I appreciate you sharing this with us, and Unitas in particular, uh, and frankly, all of the old Colts maintained a wonderful relationship with with the Baltimore community. If you ever see them at autograph shows and see current players at the same time, you realize just how much uh, probably players of that era did appreciate the attention more, but definitely how much after time that uh, uh, players. Uh, grow to want to have that contact with the fans again. It's kind of like you lose 95% of your Twitter followers and, and you, and you, and you again, really crave the attention. Uh, we had, a, we had a guest on earlier who was talking about how Peter Bulware even had said he'd just been floored by the lack of attention after he left football, that it was, it was and, and this guy who really has his crap together oh, after been. football, doing a lot of things. Well, so, you know, uh, in 1997, Ken, when the last game at Memorial Stadium was just a, another fabulous experience and mm-hmm. a story for another day. But having all the old Colts back one more time. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, guys like Howard, but I, we had Howard Stevens. Mm-hmm. Little That's Howard, a good one. Very short and, guy from the mid-70s. Robert, yeah. Robert Pratt. You know, everybody thought Howard Stevens was Buddy Young. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> Buddy Young died a long time ago yeah. in the 60s. Um, but it was, you know, it was... You know, um, Marty Domres, Gary Quazzo, mm-hmm. and they were just loving it. Just yeah. you know, they were loving the attention. Quazzo had a new baby or had a young son. Oh. Yeah, D- Domres is a is a you know a financial advisor, and he right. doesn't even identify himself really as a football player anymore. But when you do occasionally see him on NFL films or whatever, it's usually to recount his story of Johnny Unitas's last touchdown as a Colt in 1972. And what he will what he says is that was the highlight of my career was getting injured, so Johnny Unitas could go in and throw his last <laughs> touchdown. So, was, I love that. It was my my personal favorite moment ever at Memorial Stadium. Mm, that's saying a lot. <laughs> and there were plenty. Yeah. Um, 
we, we, we got to call it here, Jim, but I really appreciate you coming on. This is a great bunch of stories. We'd love to have you on for another episode because I have a feeling there's a there's a whole wave of additional stories behind this. But yeah. uh, really appreciate you spending time with us. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to do a 25 years episode, hit me up with a with a, a point or two on Twitter. We'll get back to you real quick. We want to go narrow and we want to go deep for about 20 minutes. Really appreciate it if you if we can uh, keep topics narrowly focused. Uh, Jim, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure, again. Thank you. We'll very talk much. to you next time Take on care. Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.